Do you want to know what it takes to work as a high-performing executive assistant? You'll find out when you listen to the EA Campus podcast. Join me, Nikki Christmas, the founder of Practically Perfect PA and the EA Campus, for a weekly interview with successful assistants who all have first-hand experience and lessons to share on what it takes to excel in the role. Tune in, get inspired, and learn how to create an assistant career where you are valued, motivated, and ready to face every challenge head on. Whether you are an assistant just starting in your career or prepared to move to the next level, building a successful assistant career just got a little easier with the EA Campus podcast. Welcome to episode 10 of the EA Campus podcast. I'm so delighted that we are at episode 10. I just wanted to say thank you to everybody who has listened so far, who has liked and subscribed to the podcast or left a review. I hope that you enjoy what we have coming up. On today's episode, we are joined by Fiona Shea, EA to the Group Chief Executive at Legal & General. Fiona has over 20 years of experience working with senior board level executives. Her knowledge shines through in this interview and we discuss the partnership with her current executive and her techniques for remembering every request. Fiona shares her experience working at Enron in its last days and moving between industries as an assistant. I hope you enjoy the next episode of the EA Campus podcast. Hi Fiona and welcome to the EA Campus podcast. Hi Nikki, thank you for having me. Oh, it's a treat. As I said, I know that you've got a lot of experience and a lot of knowledge that you can share. So I'm really excited about today's conversation. But to start with, why don't you tell us a little bit about your career to date and where we can find you working now? Okay, so my career to date started really when I first started an office job in my very early 20s or about 19 I think I worked for a market research company I still didn't really know what I wanted to do quickly got promoted into the admin office and started running mail shop managing marketing campaigns some payroll all sorts of general office admin duties and from there it just progressed I started working in London at the age of 21 as an assistant and then just progressed from there so I worked for Enron which was quite interesting I was there until the day they officially ended and then I went into the big four so I worked for Ernst & Young and PwC and that's probably where I gained most of my knowledge and confidence as a PA got a lot of experience there doing interviewing and training and then after PwC I went to work for Betfair which was a bit of a step out of financial services which was interesting it was a couple of years that was my first experience working in the exec office and then from there I worked for Friends Life a short stint at Aviva when Aviva bought Friends Life and then eventually I came here and I now work for Sir Nigel Wilson who's the group chief executive of Legal and General. Wow so that's a lot to cover like you said a lot of different industries and interesting things that happen. I think I'll have to come back and touch on a few of those for sure. But why don't you tell us what the main aspects of the role are there at Legal in General? So my role here is looking after, as I said, Sir Nigel Wilson, who's the group chief exec, but also I look after John Godfrey, who's our director of levelling up or corporate affairs. And he's like Nigel's inner workings. He will prepare Nigel's speeches and any kind of press work that Nigel does so they work very closely together so there's a team of three of us mostly my day would be managing Outlook inbox constantly rescheduling the diary fitting people in 
And if I'm in the exec suite, there's lots of meeting and greeting of guests. I quite like to have a bit of rapport with the guests as I'm bringing them in. So I've worked for Nigel for six and a half years, so we know each other quite well, most of me and most of his guests. I run EA meetings with the exec assistants in the team, spotting any gaps where I can arrange training for the team, sharing knowledge at these meetings. Also for Nigel, I do his board reports, proofreading, editing, any kind of presentations for journalists, meetings, that kind of thing. So it's a varied job. When I'm in the office, I'm on my feet, on my toes all day. It's pretty constant. So those days are when my inbox tends to suffer. But thanks to COVID, we are allowed to work from home twice a week at the moment. Those are the days where I get most of my email traffic cleared up and it's a proper catching up day. How have you found the hybrid model that you have now? Because I think last time we spoke, you were still pretty much full-time at home. So how have you found that getting back into the office and how have you managed that in terms of your workload? I haven't since lockdown I haven't really been full-time at home Nigel's not great he's quite old school so he's not that great at working on technology and working remotely with meetings and things so I have been in one day a week two days a week and then it's kindly dribbled back three days a week in the office for me is great because like I say I do need those couple of days at home to just clear down inbox traffic and catch up on my to-do list so I really like it I do understand that People like Nigel really thrive on the face-to-face contact and the interaction in the office and need needs an assistant to be there. So I take advantage of the days when he's not around, when he's traveling or in an all-day board and work from home. Or we I work in an exec suite with three other assistants. So we work it out so that there's somebody sat in my in my shoes, so to speak, when I am at home. So if he is in the office, there's somebody to do any running around for me. So we work really well as a team and so far so good it's worth the hybrid for us and it's best of both worlds and we couldn't have asked for it for better really it's really interesting isn't it I think for a lot of assistants it depends on the personality and working style of the executive it might be that you work for an executive who is really tech savvy is quite able to do a lot of stuff without the need for the assistant to be outside the office and then there's other executives who as you said similar to your executive who like that face-to-face interaction thrive off of that as well so it's nice that you can mold your role to how your executive likes to be and actually that works in your favor yeah, definitely. And those days that I'm in the office, I literally just see the inbox getting more and more blue with unread emails. And I just have to calm down, just go through the urgent ones, just understand that when I get home, those are the day, those are the ones that will get responded to then. So it's good because I get that chance to miss being in the office as well. If I've had a few days at home, then I can really get my teeth into getting back in and enjoying the rapport and the banter that we have in the exec suite. So I quite like it. It gives me the best of both. It sounds like a nice balance. We'll come on a bit more to the role itself and some of the ways that you structure your work. But before we do that, I'd like to get a sense of really what your day is. So why don't we start with the morning and talk us through what your routine looks like when you're planning to go into London and into the office. Okay, so I start the day getting ready. I like everyone else, shower, makeup, tiptoeing around the house so that I don't wake the husband, trying to keep the dog calm leg it to the station and on the train I'm either reading the news or checking through my inbox to see what's going on depending if I checked it the night before or not and then when I'm in it's pretty much coffee Nigel in and out catching up on things can you do this can you do that it's just 
figuring out what's going on in the inbox, what's happened, what's what his sent box is looking, what's going to happen today, any changes to the schedule, any papers that I know of that have come in that he's going to need a review of, just getting all of that kind of stuff. It's just getting up to speed, really. So that's the morning. And then by afternoon, things are quite a bit more settled. Lots of meeting and greeting of guests. Um, if we've got a trip coming up, I'm liaising with the US office about the agenda, the itinerary, travel, hotel recommendations, restaurants, etc. The travel team will organise all of that for me. Yeah, so it's a pretty typical PA role. I don't get involved in major projects as such, but when we do have trips for the ex, I have been involved in organising for some of those, but mostly it's just managing Nigel on a day-to-day. And what does that look like? Because I think, again, when we spoke before, you had said that you've been together, working together for six years. It's been a long time. So obviously that partnership has blossomed over a long period of time. But when you first started working together, has it taken a while for it to get to a point now where you can work in sync and you are in partnership? Yeah, definitely. I think the first year for any role that I've been in has always been the finding your feet, grasping what's yours, what's not yours, what you can do, what you can't do, what you're allowed to do. And I think for that first year, Nigel had also to build the trust and respect in me and understand what I'm going to be there for, what I'm not going to achieve. And over that year, um, it was tough. It was stressful. And it there was a lot of miscommunication and just really understanding each other. And I think it was almost like a light switch within a year or at that year. From then on, things just started to click. What I used to get a lot when I was new was... Um, Nigel would ask me to get me this presentation that so-and-so did yesterday at this meeting and I'd think oh god I don't even know who that person is what is it and one thing I learned from that and it was literally if not daily then every other day occurrence I just didn't have this kind of database to hand so I've created on just on my explore of my files a day folder for every single day and when papers come in for Nigel that he's had for a meeting or that have been discussed that day I will plop that paper into that folder. Even if the meeting's already happened and I just see that there was a paper, I'll drag it in there anyway. So that in future, anything comes up like that again where he's asking for something that he'd seen previously, I've got it to hand. And I know that people who have covered for me have found that system really useful. So I swear by that now. And any paper, even if it's somebody else's presentation that he really liked, I'll save it in others' presentations because I know he might nick bits from it or copy it or reuse it. So it's really handy to have that there. That's a great piece of advice because like you said, you get that all the time. It's having a second brain, isn't it? And you haven't then got to remember what document it was, what presentation it, what it looked like, where it was. It's all there and it's ready to go. So you're actually clearing out your brain as well, aren't you? It's there when you need it, which is a great piece of advice because I think that's such a common question for assistants. Where's that presentation that I went, I read in a meeting two years ago? With everything else that's going on in a fast paced role, it's hard to remember that kind of level of detail. But being able to expect us to. Yeah. And I just go in and put something in the search and it'll bring it up, whether it was files from 2020 or 2021 or something. But we use Diligent to upload board papers. So all of the confidential board papers are kept in there. So I have a folder for Nigel, which is like a day pack. And I'll do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And I'll put all of his meetings for each day in a pack there so that he literally has one space to look at each day for his papers. So that's what started me off creating this filing system. But it's been invaluable. 
And does he have access to that as well, or is that solely yeah. for your use? Oh, he does. No, so I have like administration access, and then what he sees is the user access. So it'll be tidier, and he can just see the papers with a with a hyperlink on the agendas to just take them to the right sections and things. So I would put them there, and he would be the end user that would see them. Yeah, it sounds like it's a busy role, especially as there's other assistants involved and having to liaise with with the rest of the the room there with all of the other assistants and people in it. So how do you manage that aspect of it just in terms of liaising the other assistants and ensuring that you're all in sync as well? I don't think I've actually worked in a team quite like this one, I have to say. We sit in a quadrant of four. And between us, we look after the chairman, the general counsel, the head of HR, CFO, and the CEO. And between us, we have such a system, we have complete access to everybody's inbox and diary. So when one of us is away, we don't actually need to have a handover because we can see what's coming up. We know where everything's filed. We know what's going on. And we can really slip into each other's roles seamlessly. So it's really handy. We do sometimes update if there's a trip coming up or unfinished work that we need to hand over. But mostly it's just quite, it's really seamless. It's really good. And we have a great relationship. We have a WhatsApp group. We send each other memes and jokes and we'll lift each other up if we're feeling down. And we have this, since COVID, we've had a 10.30 call every day. It used to be our cup of tea call. And we still have it now. So even though we're hybrid, we might have a couple of us in the office and a couple at home. We'll still have that regular catch up just to ease the air, make sure we're all feeling tickety-boo and share any challenges or any work-related questions. That's lovely. That that genuinely sounds lovely. And so many assistants, particularly who work at your level, don't have that. So it's such it yeah. can be such a siloed role when it's that level that you're supporting. So it's lovely yeah. to hear that there's that team spirit there which is nice and that no one's hoarding information or making it difficult to access schedules and things like that which I know there can be that experience as well so that's really nice that's really nice to hear I would imagine that it helps your role a lot as well just as you said everybody knows what your role is like and knows the pressure that comes with it and just having that soundboard must be very nice yeah I once I wanted to try and have a lunch with my fellow exec assistants when I could. And there was one day recently when I was in the office on my own and it was only my boss's in. So it was, it must've been a Friday or something. And I invited one of my colleagues to come and have lunch with me in the office. And I think she was sat in the room for 15 minutes while I was running in and out, greeting guests, getting a technical issue sorted, running in and out, trying to sort the lunch, trying to sort Nigel. <laughs> By the time I got there, the food was cold and I just, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and she just must have just seen exactly what a day in a life is like because it was literally you couldn't plan it. It was just all happening at the same time. That sounds very familiar. So. Going back to other aspects of the role and parts of your day, what do you find the most challenging aspect of the role? I don't find it that challenging anymore because I've been in it for six and a half years. I I can pretty much do anything that Nigel asks me to do. But the hardest part for me is leaving on time for my train (laughs) because I literally three days a week and I don't know how many of those I actually managed to get the train I want to get. And I'm literally sat there going, oh, that's another train missed. So I'm really rubbish. I keep meaning to put a reminder in my diary to start winding down half an hour before I need to run out the door. But I need to get better at that because I'm moving to Somerset this month now and literally in a couple of weeks. And I'm going to need to leg it for my train. That many to get. So 
I need to get back. Just goes to show how busy the role is, right? And then also how involved you are, because quite often it's that winding down is really tough when you're in the work and you're focused yeah. and you're, you're plowing through things. But it's really great to hear that after six years, the role gets easier. I think that's, again, how great is that for assistants who are okay, maybe one year in, two years in, into the same role, six years on, you're at a place where things aren't challenging anymore, which is good to hear. Yeah, we've got a great relationship and I'm not perfect. I'm not winning any awards right now for being 100% all the time. And he knows that, but he's very understanding. And if I've missed something, he's he just says, don't worry, it doesn't matter. And when I do achieve great things, he always says, well done. And it's, and it's great that we've got that kind of relationship. It really helps. Yeah, it does for sure. It's It does feel like a partnership then, doesn't it? And yeah. there's give and take with it. So what do you enjoy most about them? The human contact, the interaction, the banter in the office. It is a bit like school chucking out time when all the meetings end at the same time and the doors open. There's a whole room of people coming out different rooms and there's quite often it's quite loud. There's a bit of banter. And it's just that kind of buzz, the buzzy atmosphere that it has. The, be- the best thing is that really, the team and the, te- the people I work with, but also the fact that we're allowed to be hybrid now. I really appreciate that. What a difference that's made for assistants. Like you said, it just, it, I remember thinking back to pre-pandemic and all of those emails stacking up and there being no time to clear them, no yeah. quiet moments here or there. Because for a lot of assistants, you couldn't even go and get a meeting room and go and just take yourself off for half an hour to go and do something without interruption. Mm. So I can only imagine what a difference that's made, particularly, as you said, when you can see the email stack up and knowing I can put that off until I've got some quiet time and clear all of that out. It must be incredibly helpful. So I'd like to go back on some of your previous roles. You mentioned that you worked for Enron and be that being an interesting time. So I wonder if you could just tell us what that was like and so for people who didn't don't know the I guess we can use scandal around the, around the word yeah. Enron but yeah. what that whole experience was like for you so that was my first London corporate experience and I was it was amazing I was 21 uh probably 22 when I was working there and the building was just lovely. We had walkabout phones. We had a car in the lobby that was auctioned or it was like a raffle. It was given away every six months. We had a free gym in the basement with the highest tech kit. We had a sauna, steam room, jacuzzi, news agents, concierge. You can now wonder what the, what was going wrong, really. But it, I didn't obviously know what was happening at the time. For those that don't know, Enron was the biggest corporate crash ever. And it changed things for the corporate world from then on. But it was a really strange environment. I worked in two teams while I was there. I think I was there about two years. And literally was there on the last day, seeing my boss being called into a meeting with the auditors coming out in tears. He'd basically given them a list of 10 people he needed to finish the business to close everything. And he came out with five names and he had to let us all go. And it was just a really strange time because... The part that you don't see maybe on on the dramatizations is that we were walking out the building, not me, but people were walking out the building with IT equipment, servers, amazing original artwork. And I think there was a voicemail left on everybody's phone from legal saying that there will be spot checks by security on your way out. 
But security weren't going to be getting paid. They didn't care. No one was, no one cared. Everything was just a free for all. It was just bizarre. It was a really strange time. We all, everybody went to the pub across the road on the last day and just got really upset, had lots of hugs and drinks. And then the, I think he was called the president of the business came over, John Sherry. He made a big speech. It was just unreal. The meetings that ran up to that time, where we're going to be bought, where we're not going to be bought. And then literally for a few months afterwards, because it was, I think it was before Christmas, I think it was about November time. So I remember that was my first ever experience of being made redundant and unemployed. I had a three month gap where I didn't get any work because it was in the lead up to Christmas, over Christmas. And then January, things were just really quiet. But also everybody that I knew was following each other around and in interviews. So I went to one company and my friend had been there just beforehand. So it was really strange times, but I don't regret anything. It was learned from these things. And it's definite opener for interviews after that. <laughs> I can imagine. And having to say the last place you worked was Enron as well, yeah. probably didn't help massively with the job search either. But for your first experience working in London, in the city, in a corporate environment, must have been, talk about giving you some resilience going into the rest of your career. I think that would probably have helped enormously with hindsight. Yeah, it definitely makes you more aware of what companies are spending out on and where budgets are tighter, the things that have happened since then. It's definitely a fond memory of the past when things were a bit more fluid and when we were a bit more frivolous with budgets and cash. And as you said, the world has changed because of Enron. Now, I remember going into my my first role at Deloitte and it was just after Enron. And all of the paperwork that we had to now fill in, all of the checks and balances you had to do with new clients, that was all, had all just been introduced. Yeah, I remember it really well too. It was, it changed everything for everybody. It really did. Good story to have (laughs) a few years has passed. And what took you to Betfair? As you said, a bit of a kind of change in, in, would that be fair to say it was almost at startup level at that point or had it? The I think they were no, they were they were about ten years in. I think still a kind of startup mentality. It was very buzzy, but the opportunity came up when I'd been at PwC for six years. I think six six and a half years, and I was looking to leave. I couldn't really get any more experience. I had so much on my plate, but just not progressing into the role that I wanted. And Betfair came up. It was half an hour down the road from where I lived. And the whole, the way it was sold to me was it was very young, funky. There's lots of lads walking around in jeans, there's bean bags, there's balls being thrown across the office. It was a really cool environment. And I remember feeling when I went for the interview, I'm not going to get it. This isn't me. This isn't what I'm about not in that sense but I felt like I was financial stamped on me and going somewhere that cool and funky I'm just not going to get the opportunity and I got the job and then I got promoted into the exec suite which was it was the whole floor so it was much bigger than what I'm used to now and it was just it was very it was quite volatile because there were teams there that were changing really quickly being replaced and because I think that's quite common in a tech company that things change really quickly. It was really buzzy and exciting and the perks were great. But then that's, that wasn't my role after Enron, but I was also made redundant from that role because my boss was being relocated to Stevenage and the choice was either go with him and that would have meant coming into London, going through it and out the other side every day or 
take redundancy. And I think I was there about two and a half years. And I felt, you know what, I think I need to go back to what I know best. And that was financial services. So I took the redundancy and felt absolutely fine about doing that and got a role. My next role was, I believe, at Friends Life, which was lovely. And I loved that experience of working there and made some great friends. So yeah, I dipped my toe out of the water. Again, don't regret it. It was a great time. And I've made some lifelong friends from there now. But it just it wasn't what I knew. It's interesting, isn't it? Because you do find with assistants, there's because the skills are so transferable, you are able to move in and out of different industries and try different things, which is fantastic. But from my experience, a lot of assistants do find their niche that they really enjoy working in, be it education, health, financial services, or startups. And then you get you enjoy that environment because it offers you different things. Uh, But it's interesting that you've tried a few different things and then realised actually that is more where you fit and your skills probably shine. Yeah, it's definitely my comfort zone for sure. So having gone through your career a little bit there, what do you think you would do if you hadn't become an assistant? I was thinking about this earlier, actually. My mum was a social worker. She worked in child protection, which probably isn't the career path she would have liked me to go down because it wasn't the easiest. And if you think being an assistant is a thankless task, working in social services definitely was thankless and it really appealed to me for a short period of time but she put me off it and I thought about becoming a police officer I actually thought I don't know this was in my 20s I don't know how long I can how many years of my career I can spend actually sat on my backside but it turns out more than half my life I didn't go for it in the end so I'm quite comfortable being on my back. I'm in 100% agreement with you there one of my favorite things to do is sit so, <laughs> so again for me this job has worked out perfectly if I can't lie down then sitting is the next so yeah I completely get that but I also thought about being a police officer as well I I ended up being an assistant so maybe there's some kind of parallel there that we're not quite sure about it's hard work I'm sure oh of course yeah it's a tough job and as you said social services is is the same it's simply rewarding I would imagine but very tough very tough so I'd like to dive in a little bit in into the role and some of the ways that maybe you've pushed the boundaries on being an assistant I wonder if you can give us again a look at how you've worked within the different roles you have, where you have challenged the boundaries of being an assistant and maybe pushed on some of the stereotypical aspects of the role? I think when I was when I was at PwC, it's probably when I where I grew the most and I was really hungry for more. I worked across three divisions or three roles I had there in total. And the last role was working for a scene, two senior partners, a couple of directors, a couple of senior managers. But also, I really wanted to get into the support staff management side of it. So I worked for the support staff manager for two divisions. And she was responsible for looking after 60 to 70 PAs and plus the relationship with the partners, their allocation and their workload, absence, training, all of that kind of stuff. And that's where I learned how to do that. She put me on an interview training course. I turned up one day in a room full of managers and directors and recruiters wondering what the bloody hell am I doing here? And she said, you're going to start interviewing now. So you need the training. So I had that training, which was really scary. And because we actually had back in the day, we had people come in off the street who were paid to be pretend applicants. So we actually were interviewing in this training with people sat there watching us, criticizing, critiquing us. 
So it was really nerve wracking. And the woman who interviewed me for my job at PwC was sat there. She was the one that put me in the training. She was sat there watching me. So it was quite nerve wracking. But I like pushing the boundaries and trying to get myself out of the typical box of a PA. We have here your question time, which is five minutes to question Nigel Wilson and one other ex-co member. And it goes on the uh, internet site. And I watched the first couple and I thought, well, if I'm going to push myself out of my comfort zone, I could do it for five minutes. I've already got the relationship with Nigel. I'll put my hand up. So I interviewed Nigel and one of his direct reports, Bernie, who's a chief executive of our retail business, for five minutes. But it was literally that there were about seven camera and sound crew, all male, just stood around watching me with Nigel and Bernie. And it was really intimidating, but though nice, they made me really feel at ease. And I ran through the script several times before Nigel and Bernie came down to get mic'd up. So it was really good. And it was the best way to do it. And I remember back years ago, I used to do amateur dramatics, and I really wanted to get a lead role. And I thought the only time I'm going to get the best opportunity would be Sarah Brown in Calamity Jane, because the first time they see her sing, she's rubbish. So that's the best bit, because your nerves will go by that time. So I just remember when I did this, if I am going to step outside my comfort zone and appear on screen or do something scary, do it for five minutes. It's not long. So I did that and I saw it back on the TV. It was on the big screen in reception for about three weeks. And it was really, it was a really proud moment because I was really prepared for Nigel to throw a question back at me and I had my answer ready, but he didn't. But I did a really good job. I was really proud of myself for that. Congratulations. That's brilliant. It's not easy, is it? But The thing I take away from that story that you've just shared is how much preparation helps with confidence. And I always say that to assistants. It's like you really can push yourself forward to do anything. And then if you find the time to prepare for it, nine times out of 10, you'll be absolutely fine. And your confidence will help so much with that preparation done. And you've you've used the time wisely for that. So, yeah, yeah, well done. Did anything... Did you notice anything from having done it? I mean, in terms of colleagues recognising you a bit more or any other opportunities coming your way? No, I did receive a lot of feedback from people that were watching it around the business, a lot of emails commenting. But no, not as yet. Not yet. But more videos (laughs) more videos to come I'm sure you've done this for us and you've appeared at an event so hopefully confidence from doing the original recording has meant that you've agreed to do this so I really appreciate it (laughs) so with assistants that you've worked with that you see coming into the profession and for those that are listening today is there any advice that you would give to assistants who are just starting out in the role that want to get to where you've got in your career I think the best piece of advice I could give would be to be confident. The role is there for you to get out what you want, not just for you to give to somebody else. So make sure you get what you want. You're you're an integral part of the team and you deserve to be at that table. So act like it. I think the first time I was ever involved at a leadership team meeting, I felt like a bit of an imposter and my boss went around the table. Everybody gave their update into the meeting and then they came to me and he said, Fiona? And everybody looked at me and I thought, what? What? Nothing from me. And I thought, oh, God, I'm going to have to have something to say at the next month's meeting then. So I made it my job to go around and make sure that I was updated before that meeting with how the assistants are feeling in the team, whether we've got targets to hit, KPIs, anything like that in the team. Because I just couldn't stand them all looking at me thinking, what's she going to say? 
So I had to make sure I was prepared. And from then on, I thought, no, actually, I should be here because I'm representing a team too. And you're bringing skills and insight that the rest of the executives don't have and would appreciate. So it's so important, isn't it? The support staff in a large organisation like Legal and General are creating so much work and adding so much value, but yet often in those kinds of meetings, that value isn't recognised or talked about. So it's really important when an assistant's in the room that they give that side of the business. Yeah, you deserve to be at that table. So make sure you've got something to say. And I really hate the phrase, and I've heard it so much through my career, and I'm sure you have. I'm just a PA. I'm just an assistant. No, you're not. There's no such thing. Like we do such a big job. We cover so many different tasks and we make so many people's lives easier. They wouldn't be able to do the job they're doing without us. So we deserve to be spoken up, to to be at the table and speak up. Absolutely. Absolutely. You bring insights that nobody in that room has. So it's so important. And as you said, it's we often hear assistants say not just an assistant, but I don't want to use up the time or there's more valuable things to be said, but it's just not the case. It's really not. So it's that it comes with confidence, doesn't it? But I like that you said there that the next time you thought to yourself, I can't not say something and then leave that space of silence, which is quite often even, you know, makes you feel worse about yourself and less confident. So if you've got some prepare something then it will really help Um, so yeah I completely agree are there any changes that you'd like to see in the assistant industry going forward that would make a difference to your role or other assistants coming up to a c-suite level I don't know I don't know about what would benefit my role in that sense but I am a bit bored of the lack of men in the profession And I'm really fascinated as to why. And when I think, could my husband do my job? I don't think he could. And I don't don't know if I can actually get across the reason why, but I think we need more men in the industry. I think it would be great. It's a very female-heavy profession. Do you think it's lack of representation or the stereotype that still exists? I think it's evolved from the word secretary, which has generally been a a woman with a pearl necklace and glasses sitting at a typewriter. And what it needs to be is a recognised profession. We evolve into things like business manager, chief of staff, all kinds of things. So it leads to other areas as well. It's a great access into the industry and learning what you're you're understanding what your boss's needs are, so what your boss is doing in the business. So why wouldn't a man want to do the job? Whether they could put up with it, I don't know. I think we have a certain skill set, not wanting to quote that man from Taken. (laughs) We've got a certain set of skills, but I don't know. Yeah, it's something that we need to work on. It's almost starting that at school, isn't it? Going into schools and showing that it's a profession that there yeah. are, there's a lot of value in the profession. All of the positives that come out of working as an assistant need to really start from a young age. For sure, it's uh, it's work that needs to be done. In terms of the role that you're in now, where is it going to go for you? What's the plan for the next few years working in at Legal in General? I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know. I would like probably for this to be my last London-based role whether I would just I don't I really don't know whether I would be change change business and leave LNG and become completely home-based or whether I would become self-employed or stay with legal in general do something different take a step back 
I don't know. Every CEO has a certain time limit. So I, it is always at the back of my mind. But also, if, if Nigel does go, where does he go? Where does What does he want? Does he want to take me with him? There's so many opportunities. I just can't even think about it because you just don't know what's going to happen at the time. So it's just a waiting game at the moment, seeing what, what happens. It's exciting, but it's, yeah, it'll happen at the right time. I, don't, I just don't know what it's going to be. I think probably pre-pandemic, you would have been thinking in a five-year period. But now so much has changed. It feels like whenever I talk to any assistant and ask that question, it's, I don't know, because the last few years, anything has proven to us that how fast technology changes, how fast office culture is changing. And for assistants, it's a really exciting time because there's a lot of options and a lot of choice. And I think the role is expanding, as you said, to include chief of staff roles and things that are maybe we hadn't thought of before. So I think having an open mind is probably the best place to be at the moment. Yeah, I'm completely open to whatever happens next. I'm not closing any options off so long as I'm employed in some way or another and and healthy, then I'm happy. (laughs) That's a great way to think. So we like to share share the love before we finish off the podcast. And I just wonder if there are any pieces of technology or apps or websites or books or publications that you can recommend for our listeners. This is going to be the most boring answer. We don't have any specific apps or I don't have any specific apps for my role. I use my reminders on the phone a lot. I use my alarm clock when I've got to get someone out of a meeting at a certain time because I will never remember to do it because I get so stuck into what I'm concentrating on. So I I use that. I use Google Maps every day. I'm trying to embrace OneNote. It just feels like another dumping ground for me. So I'm really struggling with it. But I like the look of it and I like what it's used for. But I'm, yeah, I'm a little bit old school. I'm struggling with that one. I have started listening to podcasts while I'm working from home on those days when I'm bashing out emails and things and I really love listening to PA, EA, VA related podcasts just to give me that mental boost in my career. Free, easy to just stick on your smart speaker. So anything like the assistant lab, the assistant room, the EA campus, the leader assistant, be the ultimate assistant and the EA, PA chat away. There's loads on there. There's so much stuff that's on the podcast, on Spotify for free, on the internet, that it's, I'll just recommend having a listen we started at a similar time working as assistants and if you went back to then compared to now the amount of resources that are available for assistants is so different and it's I think a lot of us could have accelerated our career quite quickly if that had all been available back then so I yeah as you said and most of it is free or a low entrance point yeah what a difference it makes for assistants today yeah even things like tiktok I had to get that in somewhere. Even things like TikTok. There is a TikTok lady who is a virtual assistant and she's self-employed and she's, all of her TikToks are teaching people how to become a self-employed virtual assistant. There's so many people working virtually and remotely and for themselves now. It's just a fast load of information to your fingertips. I'm just really impressed that you you use TikTok. I know. (laughs) Check out TikTok. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure you'd be impressed with the algorithm, though. It's all foraging, gardening, cooking and cleaning stuff. There's the occasional VA stuff that pops up, which is absolutely brilliant. Fiona, it's been (laughs) such a pleasure talking to you today. And uh, it's always lovely to get a real overview of an assistant's career, particularly when you have moved around and done different things. And um, 
and then built your confidence that way as well. So I so appreciate the time that you've spent with us today and for sharing sharing your knowledge with us. It's been great. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the EA Campus podcast and today's episode. We would love for you to take a minute to subscribe to the EA Campus podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. If you could give us a review, we would so appreciate that as well. If you want to check out the show notes, you can do that by going over to the eacampus.com forward slash podcast forward slash episode 10 Fiona Shea and take a look at everything we discussed. You can also find all the links to the resources, articles and tech that we mentioned during the show. If you want to join the conversation inside the EA Campus community, you will also find all of the information on the EA Campus website. The community continues to grow and we have an amazing group of assistants sharing their careers. We have ongoing events and training for our members and we would love to see more of you inside the campus. Thank you for your time and I hope you tune in again to the next episode of the EA Campus podcast.